Hello everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project 0.4. We'll continue our reading of The Colors of Magic, edited by Jess LeBeau. However, I first want to give a quick shout out to Coach at the Car Bazaar YouTube for the idea and inspiration. Check the comments for links to his audiobooks for the first three novels. Also, full disclosure, I have speech impediment early in life, which I've tried my best to overcome. I also apologize if you find my voice nasally or otherwise dislike it. I'm trying my best to provide you with the best content I'm able to provide. However, this being said, I'd love to hear constructive feedback which corrects pronunciation issues or provides other realistic feedback that can improve the project. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Blue. Sometimes called the color of distinction is characterized by calm hands and a reflective mind. A natural sedative, blue is the color of deliberation and introspection, conservatism and acceptance. Blue is almost has almost universal appeal. It's considered to be the most aesthetically appealing color. Blue is the color of respect and wisdom. But those who lean towards blue sometimes use reason for selfish and self-justifying purposes. It is the color of control and passive aggression, as well as the color of the sea and the sky. Blue is for those competitive people who exercise caution in words and actions, and for those who always weigh the options. Our short story today is Bound in Shadows by Kevin L. Stein. Sorry, Kevin T. Stein. The casino was loud, but clean. Lamps burned expensive oil in the open windows. A glance over the top of the low double doors. The people inside wore bright clothing of silk and brocade. Their hair braided and combed as if they moved about with the same expression. Vague enjoyment. Phantom pleasure. They lost their money to Dumas. Master Dumas. They shouldn't count themselves lucky. The sun labored to reach the city through the thick clouds. The previous night's dustfall had left everything gray. Since the end of the Great War, the Brothers' War, Everyone who slept without shelter spent the day beating, brushing clothes to remove the dust. These poor walked past, cursing the brothers, cursing the war that changed everything, even their luck. I was clean. Last night I slept in my flat. My side of the street was choked with shuffling people, bent over. They didn't look to the casino or its patrons. They looked at each other. General hatred and distrust and flamed by the Great War. I knew they wanted to lash out at something. That they were chewing over their luck. Right now, their luck was bad. When it changed, they'd be the ones wearing bright silks. And they who braided their hair. They'd raise themselves up by stepping on the lives of those around them. Their anticipation, their lust, tightened the air. Mouths almost dripped like the muzzles of hungry dogs. They were all wrong. If they wanted to leave the streets, they should step at each other, but those at the casino. I had dedicated my life to this simple idea. I could have told them, but I chose to keep my own counsel. I don't do charity work. There is a thousand reasons to hate standing in that alley. It smelled old and musty and quickly covered me in a film of dust. I'd watched the casino so many times from the alley, I would have known if a stone were missing. There were other things to hate. 
Anita's shift hadn't ended yet. She was still bringing drinks to the to well-dressed patrons. I hated waiting for her, afraid she'd find someone at the casino and leave me. It was only a matter of time. There was so much tension in me. I needed a release. I needed to be calm. I slowly closed my eyes and opened myself to the flow, to clean my spirit. I took a deep breath and the, and the flow filled my, me, pale and blue, water seen in the distance. I raised above my body, imagined flying like a bird to escape the streets, the dirt, and the hateful beggars. Hovering above the city, I could tell where the flow was the strongest this year, this month. I could see where the wealthy resided. The more luck, the more wealth. My spirit drifted. The hate would be, not be dismissed. I opened my eyes to a casino. Nothing had changed. Not even my mood. Men in rich blue cloth moved through the casino crowd. The pit bosses, frowning, and leaned against the alley wall with folded arms. Still tense, I maintained control. In the window, I saw a sudden flash of red hair. The color of the sun setting in the polluted, dusky sky. Anise. She turned. Smiled down at someone. So beautiful. Character for her, about her, was like a dare against fate. The ultimate gamble. No one had ever cared for someone as I cared for Anise. People were too afraid to give of themselves. I had not told her what was in my heart. She never told me what I had hoped was in hers. Through the open window I saw her pause, listening intent. She threw her head back and laughed. I could hear her above the crowd noise, standing in that wretched alley across the street. She gently caressed an upturned face, and still I maintained control. Stepped into view was Damos, Dumas rather, Master Dumas of the casino, was heavy set, had thinning black hair, and wore a red brocade chased with gold at the cuff and collar. Only the managers wore gold. A face built from high cheekbones gave him a youthful appearance, though he had not seen youth in scores of years. Around his neck he wore a pendant. Without effect, I could see its place, its focus in the flow. It had power. Dumas snaked an arm around Anise's waist, and still she smiled. He loaned over, whispered into their ear, handed her something. Pulling back with surprise, she expected the pendant on its chains. She'd lost her smile. He'd made her an offer. I could imagine for what. <clears throat> Dumas waited for an answer. Anise let the pendant drop, pushed at him, playfully, laughing. He reached for in vain when she moved away. My control is broken. I dove into the flow to fill myself and drowned. Magic was thin and impure. I stepped from the alley, mustering through thick, dirt, dusty lines of poor people to the next gambling game. A vendor selling meat stuff, bread, stopped before me with a little smoking cart. I gestured accept this and played a gambler's game on him and game endured by only the most brave, those of the greatest hunger. It is difficult to find the root of his spirits, the base of his life magic, but not impossible. There and then, I stopped his heart. His brown eyes went wide. I instantly let go, felt no guilt. He would have done the same to me. The man fell over his carp, gasping with great pain. I pushed him aside, out of my way. Fish clenched and raised, I pressed on to where Demos pursued Anise. From my left came the noise of horn and armor. Both sides of the street, rich and poor scattered, pressing themselves against the walls, entering doorways and alleys. Soldiers rounded the corner and parried up the street. They didn't look at me, at anyone. 
My gambler's magic would not harm them anyway. Their hearts could not be frozen. They were strong and protected, returning from the Brothers' War. I knew what they thought, had heard their dim views of the city and its people. The feeling was mutual. To us, they were nothing more than unwanted lives, refused with mouths. The soldiers were a river I could not cross. Dust swirled in their wake, forcing me back, blocking even my view of the casino, which strangely tempted my anger. I knew would be home soon enough. I left the street in its disparity, and its river of men, thinking of her. How long would it be before she gave in to Dumas? I pulled flow through me, for calm, for power, trying to set my questions aside. The immediate answer was simple. If Anise came home wearing a pendant, I would know her betrayal, inevitable betrayal would be complete. I vowed right then to defeat Dumas for her. A man could only down so much before his luck changed. We lived in the bones of a thing long dead. A room was long and wide, a landing of exposed flats broken with age, sorry, broken with age supporting four walls made from the pla thin plaster by inexpert hands. Small rock and dirt rained down irregularly from the ceiling, made worse by the cap upstairs whose nocturnal pacing kept me awake at night. A few oil lengths burned yellow. The wall facing the street had a window without glass, broken out during the riots and storms. When the, when the luck flowed our way, a wind unsoured by the street blew in. I sat on my cot, a flat field cushion gambled from a soldier, and tried not to think of Anise's bed nearby. Instead, I focused on my precious five cages, how many more did Dumas have? Five? Fifty? My hatred for him was a palpable thing. So that even my animals, salamander, poison toad, spider, rat, and my prize, my beautiful mantis, delicate and green, grew less restless. Du Dupont used a mantis, his favorite sport. He could fight in the avaries, but birds were more flash than sport. No real money. They were too hard to use. Too much effort. I didn't always like to play. The best gamblers could feel their magic fade. Could taste the bad luck. The smart ones knew when it was time to back away. Everyone backed away sometimes. Except Dumas. He never said no to a fight. That wasn't quite true. He never said no to a fight of his class. The mantis turned towards me. Raised its razor arms. Pivoted its head. It knew it was my favorite. The others were in the cages like soldiers. Their spirits were simple and pure, easy to control. The best gamblers knew the animals were the means to greater wealth, a better life. The animal arena saw the greatest flow of money. Games of bloodletting, games of freeze, like a played on the street vendor, were simple, quick, but required real nerves. The money from them was thin compared to arenas where the winners played. I stretched my arm towards the mantis. Eyes half closed, I drew myself into a flow and rose above the falling dirt and darkness. My spirit followed a sense of motion. I was carried a great distance, almost forever. Time was lost. Slowly, the stream stopped, rushing straight away. It bent, first in a curve, then in a circle. I had it. I had control. The mantis stood in my open hand, spirit drawn from its mortality. I could see it through a perfect mirage. Its corporeal form was still rigid in its cage and remained that way until dead or its spirit was returned. 
My connection to its ghost was achieved with careful skill and hours of training. I focused my thoughts on the essence standing in my palm. It raised its two arms in praise. I focused again. It lowered them. I was in control. This was the weapon I could use to defeat Deimos, a mant mantis. The mantis arenas were the best favorite in the city. The knowledge of my secret weapon felt like a hidden dagger, ready for a fatal final blow. The flow I'd taken filled places in my thoughts like rainwater gathered in pools. Each pool brought a feeling, a comfortable pressure. I released one of the pools. Washed, the mantis spirit glided away from my palm, up my arm, attacking the air and practice like a toy. I watched as its back legs dragged and its body slumped forward a fraction too far. My face felt weighed down with disappointment. I wiggled my fingers and its head jerked up, and the body turned to attack. I brooded over my control. Fine for the Selmer toad, but not enough for this difficult creature. The mantis approached my fingers with caution. Every animal spirit had its own challenge to overcome, but I didn't want to wait. Didn't want to continue experiments that led to disappointment. More practice time meant a niece would have more opportunity to find another home. I needed to hurry. The early days when we met were sunken memories. The room had been ours for two years. We had found each other much the same way as everyone else did. It was a matter of mutual need. We both needed our luck to change, and we both needed someone to share the cost of the room. I learned she had been beaten by her lover, a string of lovers, one of the reasons she never liked to be touched. I decided she needed to be part of my life. My eyes lost focus and magic continued to spiral from my spirit to the Atlantis. The time of my vending in the streets was long over. Back then I knew people. One of those people got Anise her job, bringing drinks to tables at casinos. I was proud when she moved to better bars. I felt I had done something good, helped someone worth caring about. I gave up the streets to learn the gambler's games, the only road to power in the city, the only road out of the city for someone like me. Anise no longer needed my help, remembering that tightening my hungry stomach. She no longer needed my help because she was making it on her own. She no longer needed me. I told myself I was happy for her. The mantis bit my thumb, drawing blood. My control was solid, but I failed on the details. My thoughts were on Anise, drawing breath. I released the spirit back to the flow. It flayed and was gone. In the cage, the mantis returned to life and tilted its head. The wound stung where the spirit's teeth cut my flesh. I didn't bind the gash but instead held my hand up to slow the blood, letting some drip onto the floor. Living with my animals, caring for them, made me a good gambler. It made the animals trust, opened them to my control. The lock, batting a knee of oil, clicked under the slow-turning iron key. Carrying a basket, Anise forced the door open with her shoulder, cursing softly. She glanced at the door and the lock, cursing everything, I could do nothing but wait for her to complete this ritual of anger. She'd been following the same pattern for several months, since Dumas first approached her with the promise of that pendant, that magic he wore. He shouldered the door, she shouldered the door closed again and nearly dropped the covered basket on the table in the corner. Her foot caught the helm of her lead wrong skirt and she nearly tripped. She didn't like to be helped and continued to wait. Dressed in the rich chrism of the casino, she finally looked at me. Thumb bloody, sitting near my cages. She said nothing, remained motionless. Her magic was small, so she was forced to rely on her hands and her beauty. I'll make us something to eat, I said. She nodded, frowning. Anise took from a pocket a spread of thule, needle, and a golden lace. Her features were not delicate, but filled with strength. 
She had long fingers and elegant hands. I nodded towards the ladies. You've been bummed up? Today, raise my salary. She fell on the bed and slipped up off her blouse, showing a colorless shirt underneath made of worn cotton. I wanted to look at her. I loved to look at her. I hoped she was not angry with me for something. The food was simple. Bread and old cheese and water. These fears about her were always more frequent, stronger, when she was near. I'm going out. There's a traveling game near the town hall. She let out of breath. Please stay with me tonight. Do you want to come? You can watch. No answer. She never liked watch me game. I asked her many times. She never liked to share her most personal effects. And by that token, never wished to share mine. I said, I need to work. I'm earning a little bit more money. Can't you give up tonight? Just tonight? I piled the food onto a plate and brought it to her. My smile panted. You had a hard day? I didn't mention I watched from the alley. She nodded. I wanted to put a hand on her shoulder, but she didn't like to be touched, particularly after work. I have to make this game. The one will buy back some of the things we lost. I slowly slept the room. Once we had a chair, a real book too thick to finish in a year, and a mirror. They'd be, that had to be the last to go. Her eyes settled on the cages. Of course. Those would never be sold. They were the means of my living. Her eyes finally fixed on me and she smiled, not understanding. If I had your magic, I would have better luck. There'd be more money. She waved, desp despairing, absent. More magic, more luck. More luck, more money. I leaned forward to stroke her hair but stopped myself. And instead, I stood to get some water. She threaded the needle to sew the gold lace into the cuffs of her red brows. The symbol of rank at the casino. Water from the jug filled my cup. My thumb caught the rim of the jug's handle. It started bleeding again and dripped into the filled cup. Let me try the game on you, she said. What? That old gambler's game, she repeated. Let me try it on you. I turned her face smiling. All right, try it. Her magic was weak. Her hands fell into her lap. Her eyes slowly closed. Anise breathed deeply and evenly. I had the sensation of the flow being drawn from me to her. Time passed as she concentrated on the game. She lifted her ar arms with great deliberation, an elegantly hand palm up, open finger spread as if they held a melon. She opened her eyes, concentrating her gaze on mine. No longer coy, she held an expression of honest enjoyment. She must have seen a little joy in, the, in a day. Her magic sought the root of mine, the source of my spirit. Her fingers slowly closed, and she laughed lightly. There's a various feeling of constriction in my chest. The mysterious power making my heart pump was being influenced by her magic. The sensation that was nothing more than discomfort. From a mere, more powerful practitioner, it could kill. Survivaling was the other part of the game. I, I clutched my chest and emitted a false groan. Her magic fell away as if it dropped in a ravine. She sighed loudly. Do great breaks. Excellent. Very good. Thanks. Smiling at her own fatigue, she mosed for the water and managed to add. Fun. I stood over her. Water in hand, I gave her the water. She drank it greedily. Please. More. Arenas were fixed or floating. Fixed arenas were housed within the casinos themselves and owned by Dumas and other like him. Floating games were announced in secret preventing interference by players with more magic, like pennants brimming with control, like Dumas. These true gamblers ruined evenings without effort and drove arena bosses out of business. 
They smashed chances of lesser players without regret. Nobody ratted out a floating game to a professional. To do so, get caught meant death. Without regret. Town hall games were large and loud and hidden in unused sewers and tunnels. The torch burned in the town hall's tower, announcing the game was still open. No torch, no game. Dustfall started early that night, before sunset. Jogging, I covered my head with a scrap of cloth to keep out the city. Still, my face felt dirty and my nose itched from dust. Some people believed the falling dust were the ashes of the dead, ashes from the war. I didn't worry about that much, since it meant time away from practice and training. Time too precious to waste. I entered the arena near a row of houses, all of brick, all better than mine, all kept empty by the floating arenas. There are so many such control blocks controlled by the bosses, because it presented minor, major players from learning in advance when and where a game would be played. Invitations came by word of mouth, came clicking to those living on the streets, in chief flats or parks. Two men stood in the shadows on either side of the door. I moved to the short line of gamblers, shielding themselves in the dust. I tested my luck, let my eyes drop half-closed, not weak, not strong. Perhaps a, a trick such as I'd planned would win the night, when luck ran my way. Luck made everything better. There's no other way to describe it. The animal could do something surprising. Your opponent could slip, could sneeze, could look away. Looking away was the worst, the most common mistake. It broke concentration and confused the animal. Good luck made all the difference. A hand fell on my chest at the door, pushing me back a step. Another lifted the cloth from my head. Grunts sounding from the dark, and I was pulled into the darkness. The guards were different tonight, looking for professionals like Dumas. I ignored them and slipped from the darkness. Lamps and candles lighting the path to the arena. The air was heavy with the sense of dust, dirt, and sweat. Noise from the arena built slowly. My heart beat faster. This kind of excitement was better than the bloodletting game. Better than the freest game I played with in Nice. People watched the arena, acknowledging the victors. My feet carried me faster. A game ended as I entered. The crowd jumped to its feet. I smiled and shouted along with everyone else. I'd seen nothing, but it didn't matter. The thrill of the arena moved me. Money was correct by arena guards and given to the victor. Someone I didn't know. Faces were hidden by darkness, sometimes washed by red torches. The arena guard lifted his arms to ask for the next challenger. I pushed through bodies like the arena was a crowded street. Men in poor clothes and men in work uniforms. Men in rich blue with gold trim. So many I can't remember them all. The bright light blinded me. Sand shifted under my weight. The crowd was waiting for more. Two chairs sat facing each other in the sand. The other man, my height, average weight, straight dark hair going grey, was already seated. His magic was new to me, but he had won. And that said he must have skill. Then focus magic in the crowd made it hard to tell without concentration. I took the seat boldly but slowly, staring into his shadow eyes. This arena was for a lizard and related creatures. From the tracks in the sand, someone had summoned the spirit of a snake, a salamander, maybe a charmeleon. There are too many tracks. I couldn't tell who was one, but I would have bet on the snake. Expressionless, the other man raised his hands above his head. Palms towards me, elbows bent. I raised my arms more slowly, menacing, turning my palms and my elbows were in line with my ears. 
The guards stood in the middle of the arena, calling for bets. My eyes didn't break the gaze of my opponent, though I heard the shouts, laughs, and curses, and the clattering chips representing betting numbers. Everything was washed in light of the brazier above. Betting went quickly, but the casinos took more time. Placing bets, collecting bets, everything took place at a rate the poor could not afford. My thoughts drifted to Dumas and Anise. My anger returned, but I managed to keep it down. The smell of bodies pressed against the arena finally overpelled the dust of my nose. The place reeked of excitement. My face remained blank. I showed no fear. The shouts died out as the guard held up his hands, calling for final bets. There were none. He clapped once, twice, turned in place, and clapped again. The din of voices receded to a restless quiet. The weight of eyes and hopes were on us. I dared to think some had bet on me. The newcomer, the stranger, against the evening's current champion. The guard cut the air between us with a hand and a sharp cry of fight. I brought my hands together with a clap, my arms upstretched. I reached to do a flow and rose by the noise and the smell. The stream stopped, rushing and bent towards me, into me. I opened my palms. Sounds gushed from the crowd. Some had bet on me and were disappointed. My opponent held out a small strike, fast with great fans. In my hands, spirit draw force was my poison toad. To the audience, it looked like just a toad. My expression revealed nothing. The other gambler would not be so confident if he had suspected the toad's besom could kill the snake in seconds. I got lost in the joy of the arena, of gambling. Time was lost, I concentrated on the spirit of my animals. Drawing from the flow, filling the pool of my thoughts with power, then releasing them. I drew more magic, more luck. I felt at ease and fluid. The ghosts of our animals slithered and hopped across the sand. They had no weight, but they still left tracks. The snake curled and raced to the edge of the arena. I let the toe turn to face the snake. Let the flow run through me. Little sounds of anticipation seeped from the crowd, hoping for action, for victory. My confidence was good. Nobody suspected my toe could easily kill with more than teeth. The snake moved to closer and attempted to strike. I kept my hands on the mean, half watching the spirit, half losing myself in the magic, as did my opponent. Control was easy. I felt comfortably loose as I shifted against the toy's nature to leap and attack. It was a simple creature with few limbs and a tongue, poison secreted from its skin. Even its phantom could kill another phantom. The snake leaned forward. The cloud yelled and laughed as the snake's fam caught my toad's flesh, but it drew no blood. The snake kept its coils near the toads. I nudged and the toad clumsily turned and moved an inch, fully bushing the snake to release its poison. The toad struggled, breaking my control. They leaped away as the snake bit into the ground. I blinked once. Magic went wild to me. The luck shifted. However, the snake was also lost, running on its own, snapping at the toad. Suddenly, the snake stopped, curled to a circle, and snapped in the air. The toad jumped at the snake and bit it hard in the middle, releasing more poison. The snake jerked with spasm that might have dislodged the toad, but the toad clung tight. I couldn't control it or get away from the snake's fangs. With a cold final snap, the snake died. Outraged shouts and laughter burst from the crowd. This was not my usual arena. The toad was a one-time trick. Many animals were immune to its venom. Besides, the crowd would remember my face next time. This time, however, I had won. 
There's no great feeding. I collected my money from the guard. I left the arena by pushing past the poor and better dressed. A stranger slapped it on the back in congratulation. I loved it. Loved winning. There was money in my purse. A good amount for the long shot. I'd buy back some of the things the flat was missing. I knew this would make a niece happy. The luck stayed with me and I kept winning. The solar gambling house took notice. Once I even received an invitation. But I was still loud at the floating games. People remembered me and I began to see regular faces. Men in rich blue. Anise didn't watch any of the games. A real candle, scented with lavender for Anise, burned in our old bottle, bathed in the room in comfortable light. I bought it in a store that only sold candles in a bad part of the city. A store that sold only one thing was beyond comprehension in our neighborhood. Camels were an unthinkable extravagance. Covering most of the missing flats on the floor was a carpet worn, but not thread-borne. Woven in a complicated red and black and white pattern. It, like the candlelight, was comfortable. The man who sold me the rug assured me it would last a lifetime, and said it had been owned by an old woman, recently dead. Still a lifetime left in it, he'd said, as he gave me a cheap price of padding to put beneath it. His establishment was near the candle shop on the far side of the city. I struggled the, the thing home with great difficulty, but I did it for a niece. On top of the rugs were a table and two matching wooden chairs, newer than the rug and in good condition. The chairs were almost a steal from one of the casinos, cost less than a good meal. The pit boss had instructed his men to take them to the market. One quick word from me and they were mine. I was respected. The pit boss has wanted me to leave with a good feeling about his casino. My good feeling was from winning four nights in a row, nothing more. I took what I could get. My phantom... Mantis stood at the attention now, at the tabletop, that had sat at as smooth as glass. It moved away from my hand, maneuvering. Some day it faced Dumas in his casino, my mantis against his. My other animals were working well in the arena, which meant more money. They were eating better and their spirits were stronger. This was how real gamblers beat lesser opponents. Starvation for the man meant defeat for the animal. Concentrating on the mantis while I did other things made my control better. Made it more dangerous. That's what I wanted. To make the mantis a menace. An unstoppable threat. When the tabletop was smooth, so were the motions of the mantis. The lock turned quietly and a door opened before I noticed. There's plenty of oil for the hinges and gears now. And he stepped in, packages in her hand. She had more money too. But not as much as me. Her hair shone. groomed with a brush I'd brought new. She had soap and one towel between us. Luxury items. Her expression was taut. The spider increased fortune. She didn't like being touched after work. Anise faced the table, breathing deeply. What is that smell? The answer was pure joy for me. A lavender capital. Her mouth opened, then closed abruptly. Of all the women in the casino, she was the only one who didn't steal from Dumas. Maybe that was one reason he showed her so much affection. She could have stolen many such candles. This one was special, bought with affection, earned. With a flourish, I lifted the cough covering a plate. Beneath was a grand meal. A fish nested in sweet syrup. A loaf of warm bread and fruit so fresh she could smell them across the room. The scent obviously reached her, and she breathed in deep again, closing her eyes briefly. I produced a bottle of the wine. She was so beautiful and overwhelmed. But there was something else behind her smile. She bought a surprise on her own, one she couldn't hide. There was a feeling of power, a flow. I felt it before, from Master Dumas and his pension. 
my teeth clenched together again and again. She rubbed through her basket for something, avoiding my eyes. She knew I could feel the pendant in the room. What to do? What to say? What did it mean? Had she given herself to him? Was this our last meal together? After I'd fought and struggled so hard, I had decided to be calm and found my control. Deeper now with practice, with success. I could feel the pendant so strongly. If I wore it, the power of my animals could, would raise me up, higher even than my current status. Ania stopped her nervous search and put a hand over her throat, where the gold lace was stitched. The promotion from Dumas. He gave it to me today. I can feel it. She turned, still nervous, because she was worried I knew of her betrayal, because there was no betrayal, and she was afraid I would be offended by her acceptance of a gift from another man. One thing was dirt certain. Dumas was wearing her down. She was weakened, slowly allowing his advantages. I'd seen her in the casino from the alley. I knew how she flirted and toyed with him. I'd see Dumas slip her, his arm around her. She needed to be safe from her own weakness with my strength, my success. As long as I was winning, she would be mine. My animals ceased their restless moving. Can you feel it? Anise brushed some hairs from her face and plodded quickly. A little. My magic is so weak, but it feels... Wonderful. My tone was laced with happiness. We were both given the wealth we wanted. Anise looked up from me beneath the shadow covering her eyes and saw my open, genuine smile. She nodded quickly again. It feels lucky. That's what I'm told will happen. I'll have more magic. So I'll have more luck. That made me laugh. I didn't tell her now magic needed to be exercised, used, and practiced before you can have luck. She thought in terms of superstition and legend. I stood and gestured to the opposite chair. She laughed shortly and put the basket on the floor. She slid past me without touching me. I pulled the chair out and pushed it under her. I set the platter before her dark eyes, glowing warm in the candlelight. I lifted another cloth to reveal newly polished knives and forks. I just didn't know what to do. She was open, honestly, and charming. She had given me little joys without knowing or understanding how much they meant. I would have told her the pleasure I'd got if I thought she wouldn't draw, draw away. Instead, I demonstrated the proper process. Following my lead, she picked up the knife and fork and cut a delicate piece of fish, sticky with a slice of orange, and brought it to her lips. Anise stopped and breathed in the scent, had tasted the fish, luxuriating in the flavor. I poured the wine into the matching glasses, while Anise slowly chewed, her eyes closed. Smoke from the candle curled into wreaths around her hair and smiled around her throat. The pendant filled me with the same languor as her eating. I reached out to touch it. Eyes were closed. She wouldn't know if I was careful. My animals were no longer calm. They were moving back and forth, excited. Anise breathed deeply. I jerked my bag hand back before she could open her eyes. Stalling at me over the rim, she sipped the rhyme. Oblivious. I filled her cup again before she could find words and finally sat down. Elise motioned me to eat, but the power of the pendant drew away my appetite. I forced myself to swallow anyway. Some words passed between us, but we were both in different places. Elevated. She by the grandeur of my offers, I by her jo joy for the moment. My thoughts slipped to the pendant. I couldn't help it. This is what real gamblers had, what kept them apart from the poor more than a doors and walls and guards. Everything I tasted up then was nothing but rainwater, impure, the shallows. 
I wanted more of this power. For it would give me victory over Dumas and let me keep her. What? she asked. I was staring at my mantis, my mouth dry. I'd been wondering. Something needed to be spoken, something deep in my thoughts, something true. It was a gambler to bring it out, but it was luck in these past weeks. I said, I appreciate you. Just appreciate you. I knew Moban had never told her more than that he wanted her. I expected she heard it often at the casino from the pit bosses and the gamblers. I could picture them. The same look in her eyes when she glanced from her to the arena, the arena to her. They didn't see any difference in the prizes. She blinked in the candlelight, smoke bringing tears to her eyes. She wiped them away and laughed. Eat, she said. A single clean river ran through the city behind the soldiers and the brothers' war. My time then had always been spent working, pushing vendor carts to take me to the riverside. There were opportunities to steal moments, wash my face, ridge my aching feet. Sunlight would make the river silver, sometimes too bright to look at. Starks create a river of sparkling jewels, like anise, too precious to touch. In a city, there were few fish, if any, and nobody tried to catch them except the boys. They threw them back to be caught again. One day, back then, the horizon, the mountains, were hidden in a red haze, sunlight angry till it rose overhead, again turning yellow. Birds lifted and flew away. Small animals hid themselves. The boys still caught fish at least the dead ones that floated on top. That night, the moon burned the same angry red even overhead. The river was no longer the plain of silver, the band of jewels. It became blood, became a black gash through the city. That was when the first dust fell. I remember when all the birds left. St streets vacant of their calls and songs. Everyone felt a day danger, even with weak magic. Everyone in the city had some. The sun stayed red till it set. The sun had so stars. Sorry, the sky had no stars. The dusk fell more thickly. The great wave of heat and wind for the mountains happened when I was out with a cart. The morning was warm. No one was buying. Staying indoors, protected, they thought. I'd wanted to wash my face. The water from public fountain had stopped, cloud clogged with dust. There are dead animals, squirrels in the trees, mice, young birds who hadn't the strength to fly or swing. The gaze went to the mountains, wind rushed in my hair. I could feel power drawing near, outside my body, inside the flow. At the time, I knew little about it. There may have been a scream. Then I was knocked over by wind, heat, and dust. Clouds cupped up the flesh of the mountains. Ashes took the skies. Roaring powerfully shot through the city, scarring everything. This was the power we learned of the Brothers' War. This was the aftermath of destruction. Days and days passed, when only sound was the whole howl of outrage, of wind, dust, and rocks pelting buildings, devouring the essence of the city, drinking its life. What remained collapsed from its own weight. Buildings fell, some overnight and nobody could walk the streets. I huddled beneath dusty stairs for three days without food or water, staring at the thick, rushing air. Things crawled over me. I didn't move. The city was wrecked. The storm, as if alive, moved to find fresh prey. Memories of the end are cloudy now, but this memory is clear. Something changed, tore away the mantle of my previous life. I was determined to live. 
I reached down and by a sheer force of will, I survived. At the end of those three days, I had found power. New, confused, relegated by luck. Nothing after that was ever the same. Before I could recover, the city was set upon by soldiers, leaving the Brothers' War. They took everything of worth. Like the wind, the soldiers cut line from the city's past to the city's bent future. It took a long time to rebuild from the initial plunder. I noticed a change in myself as well as the people. The end of the Brother Wars started smaller wars all over the world. Fortunate against unfortunate, rich against poor, those with magic against those without. Crawling, I had returned to collect the remains of the cart. I still wanted to wash my face. Most of the animals were dead, more bodies in the streets, reaching into the river. I felt new, ugly sensations of death, failure, and hatred. The river was gone. My hand was covered in riverbed muck, gray ooze, a cold, sucking, solid mass that drove my fingers towards my arm as if it was hungry. I shivered then, though the air was uncomfortably warm. The mass fell away from my hand with a hard shake. It left behind not a smell, but a strange memory of weakness, fear, and failure. I buried my rat now in the river muck. I had it with me for five days. The riverbed was still moist, though nobody knew why. There was little rain. All these memories of the city returned with the failure of my magic, my control. I had mapped Ratch against another player's snake at one of the bigger houses. The snake was fast, but my control of the rat was faster. The duel went on for some time, and I never let up. Then, when the rat was finally ready to strike, I lost control, just for a moment. The flow stopped. The luck changed. One moment was long enough for the snake to strike. I had lost for the first time in a long time. The other players had figured me out, had figured out my magic. I had seen this man several times watching me. He was dressed in rich blue, gold lace to the cuffs and collar, the collar of the pit boss clothes. Gold's meant he was from the casino of Dumas. He had been a cent against me. Dumas was a greater enemy than I suspected. The little cage and the animal sank from sight. With it went to measure my blood, my life. Elise was doing much better. Luck from the pennant served her well. Better than I feared. My failure was like the death of the city. The death of my hope, my life. I spent five days alone, brooding over the death of my rat when she came home. I was already gone. When she could find me, I told her I had somewhere important to go. I could not meet her eyes. She drew my lie lost because she could see a cage was missing. She asked nothing. She never questioned one another. She did not want to be touched. I did not want to be questioned. I longed to touch her. The pendant. I sure I could have won if it had it with me. There was something in my magic. A weakness. Something the player in blue found by watching. I sat at the end of the dead river, staring at the mountains. What did he see? Dust fell on me at night. I ferried into old buildings, avoided the gaze of the shuffling poor. They angered me with their eyes filled with pity. They would not pity me if I had control, if I had won. Control is everything. My control is imperfect. And then man in blue knew. It may have mattered to him if the flow changed. It only affected me. I couldn't find my answer to the question. How would I live her without her if I couldn't win? Days and nights passed. I ate nothing, only drank from the few working public fountains. Dust hung on me in layers, and night after night, I stood in the alley, every stone where it should be, watching her through the window. She smiled and laughed and touched soldiers of patrons and pitboshes, and Dumas. 
She worked and laughed and pretended she was not thinking of me, of my lo losing. All around her were winners, real gamblers. Her attention to them was obvious. Her betrayal to me could not be far. I had to work harder, faster. All week I took the spirits of little creatures at random and tried my magic on them. Insects and small animals were returning from wherever they hid when this great storm could, came rather. If they did perform as I commanded, my precious mantis killed them. I grew weak, but that what was too determined to give in to fatigue. I didn't recognize time, only light and darkness. Dawns and twilights were gone to me. There was rain and dust and darkness and light. At the end of the week, two creatures were left, a bee and a spider. The others die. I made the, do, made the bee do tricks, the spider's the same. Different creatures, same control. The bee spirit waited patiently for the, my, my command. The spider moved about restlessly as I pondered. My clothes lost all color. I suddenly felt a need to watch. The bee twisted in my hand. Waiting on my upturned paw, the bee twitched again and again at distant intervals. The magic felt e weak but even, a bit muddy. It felt stronger the day before, and the bee had twitched then as well. Picking out the float and nothing to the bee. I waited for the twitch, then poked the bee with magic. Nothing. I crushed the spirit in my hand. The next week, I spent eliminating the part of my magic that made the bee twist. The snake ate the ma my rat when I hesitated. I eliminated that too. Pushed by desperation, I figured it out. Maybe I discovered luck. Maybe the pendant hanging from Anissa's throat was the cause. I was going to win again. The mantis would be ready. I had only fight in the mantis arena. New magic, new control. She would have to stay. I was invited to the Sun Casino because I had won for two weeks straight. I was a rising star again. My game was strong. My wealth grew with my new magic. I experienced nothing like that before on top and still rising. It had been as if Anise had come to watch. She never watched me play. Nothing in the room changed. The lander candle was in the bottle, long burnt. Its scent lingered. When she returned to work, nothing was different. No questions. She looked at me just the same. I was happy everything was the same. Afraid made things that might have changed my absence. She might have thought about me leaving. Everything was going to be better for her as, as for me. At night, I would dream of the flow, swim in it drink of it, and her bed in her mind. The pet lay across her throat, whispering of victory. I found what I needed to kill the praying mantis of Dumas. The pennant gave me that power. That's what I wanted. To kill that praying mantis and claim my place in his city, above the poor, forever underfoot when I walked past. I wanted a niece with me. One night, while she slept, I reached out to touch the pendant. She stirred. I must touch her throat. Under where? How she got that prize, that incredible prize. I wonder if she touched that throat. Dumas, the pit boss. I saw them all through the window. She paused time with them, touched her shoulders, arms, maybe caress her cheek and always smile. All with no regret, nothing. I pulled my hand back and clutched my fist to my chest. She would be with me. My new control would give me that. Staring at the skeleton of the ceiling, I wondered whether Dumas, sitting somewhere, had heard tales of how good I had become. He had. Standing inside a casino, the player who killed my rat, a pit boss in blue with gold lace, said Dumas wanted a challenge. Dumas wanted to play me that night. My face was blank, a gambler's trick. In my mind, I was calm. I was ready. The pit boss stared at me. He said I could never win. No matter how good my magic. He won't be king of the dirt. 
He said that my luck didn't make me a loser, but being a loser made my luck. I returned home to her niece, waiting at the window. She stared, sipping from a cup of water, and said, I'm leaving. The sensation in my chest was like the gambler's game. Freeze. Something constricted my heart. What? I'm leaving you, she said, her hair burnished by fading sunlight. She put a hand in her pennant and ran her fingers along its edges. I'm going off to be on my own. This, this is because of Dumas, isn't it? The constriction continued. I felt my heat on my skin, but cold inside. My animals thrashed against their cages, feeling my fury. And then she shook her head, not looked at me. Dumas has... I raged in place. Liar. This is because of Dumas. Clutching the pendant, she turned to the window. I couldn't see her face. She was not racked with sobs, as I wanted her to be, or torn with sorrow. As desperately to see her. Slowly, she nodded her acknowledgement and confessed her lie. You're believing because he thinks he offers you more. My animals hissed, rattled, and ran in circles. I'll give you the same. You can't, she appeared in her voice. We have been together some time, and I can't give you what you want. Her free hand fell from the pen on her shoulders. I can't give you, I can't give myself to you. And you can with Dumas? No, not with Dumas. I smashed my foot on the floor. A slat cracked beneath the carpet, the carpet I'd bought for her. If not with Dumas, then with who? And he stroked her head again and struggled. I don't know, but I know I must leave here. You must leave here, I laughed. A short and acid laugh. Blood boiled in my animals. I turned towards them. The smile metal hurt itself against the bars of the cage and died. I flinched. Another piece of me was gone. Marvelly lay gone, like a niece. There's still a chance. If I did needed to feed Dumas, my madness against him, she would stay. I knew it. I thought of all the dreams inspired by the pendant. Using it against Dumas would show her his weakness. Show her that he could never give her what he wanted. He was a real gambler, but his luck would change. It would change that night, and it would be the one to change it. And he stood and straighted, her dress with the gold lace around the cuff and collar. She ran thand with her hair. I have no bags. I won't take anything with me. Give me the pendant. She looked at me in the eye and blinked slowly. What? The pendant? My hand reached out. Give it to me. Anise turned her shoulders defensively and raised her hand to cover the pendant. Her expression said she would not give it up. It is my new luck. For the first time. Don't you dare say for the first time you're lucky, I bellowed. Your luck started when we met. She tried to move past me towards the door. Her eyes never left me. Her feet stepped silently off the carpet. She slipped from my sight, but I knew she needed me. I turned towards my mantis. Its black, hintless eyes watched me. I waited patiently in my control. An idea. Was it possible? Could I do it? Could anyone? I stretched my arm towards her with clasped eyes. I felt the sensation of motion. My spirit flowed. Was it possible? As with the other gambler's game, I sought her magic. The root. The sword of her spirit. But she was surrounded by the power of the pennant, making the distance immense. It was too much. The challenge too great. I struggled. Buffeted by power. Spirit to human spirit. Animals are simple. This was torture to my magic. Yet I could not surrender. She needed me. Needed me. I could not lose to another. Anise stood enthralled. Concentrated made my nose bleed, my ears ring. I focused on her eyes. Her body was rigid, as when I first touched her. When we first met, my control spun and twisted, fighting her dominance. How much easier it would be if I had depended. I pointed to her bed. She jerked, sobs breaking from her throat. She moved, lowered herself on her knees and sat on her bed. Tears flowed from her eyes. She would be happy under my control. Once the fight with Dumas was finished, 
Anise would see that was true. I dropped to my knees in front of her, stroked her hair. Bending slowly, I placed my hand on the pendant. She tried to scream. I took our first kiss. She bit me, drawing blood. I whispered, everything I do, I do for you. Dumas stood on his side arena. The sand on the floor was smoothed by our contest. He was dressed in fine yellow silks adorned with rich brocade. The brazier above him seemed old. His face was set in stone, like mine. The pendant was hidden beneath red robes. I had no doubt he could feel its power. I imagine he felt his loss already. Around us stood the real gamblers, men and women who were lucky enough to be missed by the storm. Men and women whose luck had not changed. We sat on our short chairs and raised our hands above our heads, elbows bent. The pit bosses gathered the bets. Their odds were not in my favor, but I didn't care. I could hear bets being placed on me, but I couldn't see faces of the brazier's light. The betting was closed. Then the pit boss called out, Fight! We both clapped our hands, summoning our beast, praying mantises as large as birds near the center of the ring. I felt Dumas's control prodding limbs of his mantis towards mine. My new magic let nothing leak out. There's no way for him to read my moves. The two translucent monsters clashed, locking their razor limbs against each other's heads. Magic struggled up against magic for the strength to push the insects harder. However, magic in the arena shifted. However, we struggled with the changing forces. Our fighters never reached their graphs. Our faces were set and solid. The shouts of the players on the sidelines continued as the fight dragged on. Money had been bet on how long the fight would last. Money on place on whose face would show strange first. The monsters were made locked. I couldn't find a chink in magic to, ex to extract my mantis from his. He couldn't find it. I felt him struggling. Dumas's magic was truly impressive. It didn't matter that I could feel his control. I could even use that against him. He could even use that against me if I became distracted by reading his moxies rather than concentrating on my own. More money was placed. Money for the first limb. Money for the first move. Money for anything. I grew more, more relaxed, more sure to victory for Nice. Everything was for her. Luck flowed to me to beat Dumas. I knew it. I felt it. His mantis ripped the limb from mine, repositioned itself, and grabbed my monster's head from another angle. The slouch made my ears ring, as if I'd been struck in the head. Our faces showed nothing. My mantis cracked the leg of his, and the magic shifted again, further away. Then the real fight began. The phantasms fought openly, ripping and tearing to the shouts of betters on all sides. Our monsters were chipping through like walls of old stone. My control is better, my anger brighter, my magic stronger. I did not let up. I forced my mantis to attack. Magic moved from the ring, and the other mantis seemed regenerized. I hacked another rim from mine and stared hard into the eyes of Dumas, letting him know with a glance what would come next. I prepared to use the pendant, but some in my blood stirred, drawn towards Dumas. No, it was not toward Dumas, but behind him. Someone stood in the shadows. Lights from the flame glazer glazed in my eyes. It couldn't be. Stop now. Not when Elise would have everything she deserved. Everything I could give her. My matten spilt to the net of the other. I fell to my knees, my hands shaking. The luck on that I could depend. All this magic, all this luck would save me. Prevent me from losing my concentration. I would have revenge on Dumas for stealing Elise. 
I alone challenge fate, dared to care for another. The city killed and left corpses on the dust-colored streets. I forced my eyes to remain locked in Dumas, clenched, my teeth ached, blood boiled, and pelted my temples, my chest constricted. A knee stood behind Dumas. I could see her face, but her hair glowed in red in the firelight. I felt her control on me, strong, seeking to root my magic, my spirit. She was choking my life, crushing me with great weight. She couldn't kill me here. There were protection against those things in the arena. My magic was stronger. From the pendant, I took the power, the pure magic. I rode the crest of her feeble strength back to her source, where her spirit waited. She ran from my attack and didn't turn back. I reached for her, for the final response, stretching with my strikes to finally strike her down. Dumas' creature snatched its claws forward. The head of my magic fell to the floor. I forced magic into spirit, but it was already gone. I knew the body at home was dead. Everything was gone. The pendant was empty. There's nothing left. Weak and sweating, I couldn't stand. Dumas was already gone. The spirit of his mantis returned. The arena cleared. Bodies shuffled. Shadows moving. Anise was left them to leave the building. I never saw her face, but I heard the sound of the door closing leaving me inside alone, empty and alone. Everything I'd done, I'd done for her. That was Bound in Shadows by Kevin T. Stein. Thanks for listening.